I'm Kate Bowler, and this is Everything Happens. I'm a historian, author, aggressively fast walker, but lately in a world that promises endless progress, even now in a pandemic, I've realized I just need to be a person. It's hard to give up on the feeling that the life you want is just out of reach, if only you tried. Eat this food, find that relationship, just get the kids graduated or the parents this kind of care. Only then will I feel different, better, whole. But that's not the way this works. When I was 35, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And here's the very fun thing about that. The world loves you better when you are shiny, when you are cheerful, when you still believe that your best life now is right around the corner. I've written multiple books on the history of the idea that you can always fix your life. So I'm going to be the one to say it. There are some things we can change and some things we can't. And it's okay that life isn't always getting better. We can have beauty and meaning, community and love, and we will need each other if we're going to tell the truth. Life is a chronic condition, and there's no cure for being human. This is a strange, distended moment, the sameness of a world that groans for change. We need justice for all and a vaccine for these 7.9 billion people who woke up this morning. We need beauty that stirs our hearts and affordable health care for the parts of us that keep breaking. We need things to do because sometimes we are tear our hair out bored and then, wait, why do I have so many things to do today that I could scream? And why isn't there a new season of Ted Lasso yet? There is hope for someday, but someday is not now. There is a Christian version of this story, and it's one that people around the world recognize this week. It's called Holy Week. It begins with Jesus welcomed like a hero. Expectations are soaring. He will fix everything. But by the end of the week, his best friends betray him. He is convicted as a criminal and sentenced to death. He will rise from the dead and someday bring this world to a beautiful conclusion and wipe every tear from every eye. There is hope for someday. But someday is not now. And here we are, living between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, before the cure, or the vaccine, or the answers you seek, or the relationships and money you need. We live here, before the heartbreak is over. Perhaps it is here, we might need to learn how to pray. You might be wondering, but Kate, I know you don't know me, but prayer, really? This seems a bit sanctimonious. What if I don't believe in God, or at least I don't believe that prayer works? What if I'm not the kind of person who prays? Why are you being so bossy about this? Full disclosure, I am not an amazing prayer, but I do love people who pray. And today I thought we could talk to a wonderful person who can help give us a little bit more spiritual language to be here, a little scared, a little disappointed, a little hopeful. The Reverend James Martin is a Jesuit priest, author, and editor-at-large of America Magazine. He is the author of many award-winning books like Jesus, A Pilgrimage, Between Heaven and Mirth, and his latest, Learning to Pray. 
He is a regular cultural voice on the subjects of religion and the media, and he is the official chaplain of the Colbert Nation, as in Stephen Colbert, no big deal. Prayer, he believes, is for everyone. Believer, doubter, and no thank you, er, er. That's a new word I just came up with right now, Father Martin. I hope you like it. I am so glad to be speaking with you today. My pleasure. Good to be with you. I'm always very interested in the lives of holy people, but they tend to be a little bit, I don't know, um, inaccessible. Like they're always having wondrous visions of the Lord before preschool. I'm sure that's exactly what happened to you. I went to the University of Pennsylvania and uh, studied at the Wharton School of Business. And I took a job with General Electric. Uh, This was in the early 80s, probably before you were born. And I worked for GE for six years. I had a great time. And then I just felt like I was in the wrong place and picked up a book by Thomas Merton, uh, the Trappist monk, who I know you know, and uh, that just changed my life. I just thought this is a better way. I mean, it was, I didn't see, I I didn't have a vision or hear voices. I just felt this attraction, which is how God calls us through our desires and our attractions. Mm. And now, you know, ended up as a Jesuit priest. I, um, I'm sure you get these stories all the time. I have a wonderfully mixed history, uh, with the Catholic church. I was, for instance, um, kicked out of my all girls Catholic school, which is actually a story I cherish. They had been giving out, um, what they called like a jug, a judgment under oh, I, God. Oh, I know jug very well. Yeah, that's a very, that's a big Jesuit phrase, right? <laughs> yes, and I was. Uh, it turns out that's that's how I found out exactly how many wiffle balls there were in St. Mary's Academy mm-hmm. when I yeah, was. Yeah, count them. <laughs> yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's also how I discovered they had three unicycles, which was glorious. But oh, wow. uh, for years afterwards, I worked for Jesuit priests who I love more than everyone. I got to help them get ready for mass and bring out all the precious things and chat with my very favorites, um, who I still keep in touch with. And so look, my lovely Jesuit friend, I know every kind of Christian has a different angle on the life of faith, but what is especially Jesuit about your understanding of prayer? And what can we learn from that? I would think that uh, it's the idea that, that this is not specific to just Jesuits, but it is something Jesuits really love, that God meets you where you are, yeah. right? That God meets you where you are and that therefore the way that you like to pray, the way that Kate likes to pray, the way that Jim likes to pray, the way that, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast likes to pray is where God is going to meet them. And so you don't have to pray in the way that your neighbor does, your friend, or, you know, your priest or your spiritual director does. And that's really consoling for people because it, it relieves them of this notion that there's one right way to pray. There's no shoulds. There are very few shoulds in the spiritual life. I know I was teasing you about being a spiritual professional. I, I do get that a little bit sometimes because I teach at a divinity school. I'm and sure. Have that awkward moment, like on a plane when we used to go on planes <laughs> and then people say like, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I, you know, and then all of a sudden they're apologizing for swearing or drinking the tiny plain wines. But why is there no such thing as an expert in prayer? Because we're always learning. It's like being an expert in love. Imagine if someone said, <laughs> yeah, let's say, you know, you're married for 50 years. You probably ask, you know, the couple, are you an expert in love? They would probably laugh in your face. Right. Yeah. And the same with prayer, we're always learning something new. And last uh, year, well, two years ago, when we still went on retreats, uh, I was on a retreat and my spiritual director, my retreat director suggested a new way of praying. And I said, no, I can't do that. And he pushed me and I I did it and it, you know, went really well. So, you know, here I am after 30 years as a Jesuit, I'm still learning. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're never, we're not, I mean, I think we can get um, used to it and proficient at it. You know, the, you know, it's like riding a bike, um, but I don't think we're ever experts. Yeah. 
<laughs> Thank God, right? Otherwise, we'd be able to be boring. But then how will I find my superiority and wield it over others? Mm, yeah, and- right. That's so sad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Talking about a holy week. I mean, this is Jesus, you know. I mean, in the end, you know, he subordinates himself and he gives everything up. So you're right. It's, it's, it's not about the, it's about downward mobility, as one Jesuit once said. I love that. Yeah. Yes. That is my very favorite part of still being a Christian is um, that we are, we just are on the side of the losing team. Mm, yeah. Right. We're on the side of Jesus. And that, that is the best part of it. The best part of being a Christian is a person and it's Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would have loved the end of that sentence. You're like, and it's Bob. I actually haven't. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. And it's, and it's the money. It's all, it's all about the money. <laughs> and it's the glory. That's right. Yes, that's right. exactly right. What is prayer exactly? I, I know it sounds like a simple question, but it sounds like it's got a layered answer. No, it's a good question. I think it's, um, it's an important question. People don't know what prayer is. I go through a lot of definitions in the book, which I, I will spare you. There's five or six definitions. And I end up with uh, prayer as a conscious conversation with God. Hmm that takes place within the context of a personal relationship with God. And so it's, it's intentional, right? It's, it's, it, and it's, a, it's a two-way street. Now, what does that mean? When people hear about listening to God, they say, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Like hearing voices or seeing visions? And no, it's about paying attention to what happens in your prayer as, in, as well as in your daily life. But it is, it's a conversation. It's a, it's a back and forth. It's you sharing your, yourself with God. And it's also God sharing God's self um, with you in different ways. So it's, yeah, a conversation I think is my favorite way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And within the context of that personal relationship. Mm-hmm. Where does that desire come from then to do it? Like, I, I'm just thinking of different moments in my life. They led to very different kinds of prayers, like mm-hmm. prayers in the hospital are Man, there's the there's the prayers when you're in pain, like, please God sure. help me, please make this stop, or prayers of complete awe and wonder where you you just you can't even believe how lucky you feel yeah. just to be breathing. How else would God draw us closer, right? Other than by awakening in us to the desire for prayer, mm-hmm. and so that can really help um, uh, people in the beginning of the spiritual life. And I'm sure you know this because once they're sort of encouraged to understand that this is where the desire comes from, they feel less alone. And it's less, you know, Kate or Jim just being curious, you know, like I'd be curious about, I don't know, like, you know, hang gliding or parasail. <laughs> I'm just trying to pick something, you know, like it's kind of a curiosity. Rather, it's, it's a response to a call from God. And that mm-hmm. makes people a lot more comfortable with it. This is kind of a strange question, so bear with me. <laughs> um, and, uh, when I was in my first year of cancer treatment, I really started um, really doubling down on my use of the F word much more frequently. And to be honest, I really picked it up during the season of Lent. I remember it very clearly. I was on a six-hour break from the hospital, and my friend and I went to this thriving little Catholic church near the hospital where all the loveliest people, I'm sure, wanted to hear ways in which Lent was making us a tiny bit better. And the priest used the phrase tiny bit as how he described how this might work. Like, think about volunteering once or twice, or be nice to people at work, or don't forget your gifts are special. And then he doled out the ashes with all the cheer of Snow White sending her industrious dwarves off to the mines. And I lost my mind. 
I started yelling things in the car like people are trying to Easter the crap out of my Lent because all I wanted was honesty. So how can prayer be a place of radical honesty for us? So many people feel that there are inappropriate emotions in prayer. Uh, Anger is a big one. Disappointment, frustration. Oh, I shouldn't be angry at God. I should be more grateful. And, you know, we're all supposed to be grateful and we're called to gratitude. But sometimes we're just, look, if you're going through a cancer treatment and you're going through chemo and radiation and I had radiation a a year or two ago for Mm. a benign tumor. And, you know, I wasn't, it's not something I wanted. And so can you be honest with God about these things? That doesn't mean all you do is complain, (laughs) but it does mean that if you're upset or worried or sick or frightened or despairing even, to not express that is going to get in the way of your relationship because it's going to be this big block there. I did feel very, um, I think a lot of the, the joyful profanity of that season for me was, was feeling very censored by religious people in particular Mm. about whether or not, you know, when you're sick, people love to freight you with their own questions about God Mm -hmm. and whether you're confident enough about heaven or, you know, thrilled enough about where, where God has really taken you in your life. Like, well, it took me to a super garbage, super garbage place. I think I, yeah, it did help just to say, I am so bleeping angry right now. Mm-hmm. I, cause I felt, I felt sometimes like Christians just wanted me to die very politely, just gently, just gently into that good night. Into that good night. Well, you know, look, uh, there's a lot of people who are angry in the scriptures. I mean, how long, oh Lord, that's Psalm 13. That doesn't sound like they're too happy about stuff. <laughs> and hey, Jesus gets angry in the gospels. Jesus gets angry uh, in the temple. He gets angry at his disciples. He calls them a faithless and perverse generation. I mean, that's really strong. He gets angry at the fig tree. Um, You know, so he's he's upset and he's human. How can we not be angry from time to time? And how can we not express that to God? Now, the key is, you know, what's God's response to us? Where are we noticing it? Where are we seeing it? And can we be open to that, too? Yeah. Well, I like the response from God where I just pray something very specific and then I receive it. And it happens, right? I remember very clearly my very first incredibly transactional prayer when I prayed for a guy named Matthew to really, really like me. And then he did. And I was one. The miracle. It it was. Thank you, God. My my will be done. (laughs) (laughs) No, and look, I think, you know, we're laughing about that, but it's okay to pray for what you want. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know. You're standing before the creator of the universe. If you have, particularly, you know, in in the situation you're talking about, if you have cancer, you're struggling, you've lost your job, or, how can you not ask for that? Yeah. And I'm going to drop, I'm going to drop a name. That's from Carl Rahner. Well done. Well <laughs> I do, done. I, do this, I have to cite him. <laughs> I read, I once had to read an entire year of Carl, Carl oh, Rahner. He my is sympathies. Um, so, he has a lot to say. He Man. Does. Wow. Thanks, Systematic Theology. Just keep on writing. More volumes, please. He has a beautiful book called The Need and Blessing of Prayer. And he mm-hmm. says that Jesus is the model prayer, which actually changed the way I pray because yeah. it, it's so beautiful. Honesty, trust, and acceptance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, first, honesty, right? Honesty. He's, you know, he's honest, you know, at the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, we're talking about this during Holy Week. Remove this cup. I mean, that's honest. Yeah. And then trust, right? So at the tomb of Lazarus, he says, I know you hear me. And then acceptance, right? Not, not my will, but, but your will be done. And so, but you know, a lot of people, 
which is which is why we're talking about this. A lot of people short circuit the first step, which is honesty. Right. Right. You, you, you can't just go right to thy will be done. It's just it's it's not honest. Yeah. At least as I see it, I think people at least need to be able to be honest in prayer and express themselves. Mm. I like that. Honesty, trust, acceptance. If I'm interpreting step two, right, we sink into the possibility that something might that something might happen or that God hears. I, I think weirdly, that is something I learned from the 10 years I spent researching the prosperity gospel. Because I was involved with um, all these uh, folks who, you know, believe that God wants to give them health and wealth and happiness. Mm -hmm. And while I uh, disagree with the um, the nature of the promises that we are, uh, the, the nature of the guarantees for life here on earth, I was continually blown away by their joy at just imagining what God might do. It was, it was like, it was, it had wonder built into it mm -hmm. that I found really kind of lovely to be around as opposed to some of the churches that I joyfully support who, when I got sick, you could tell they were like a little bit nervous about praying for me just in case, like mm. as if they, as if we all had to protect our reputations, like, Oh, Let's 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 not push the envelope here. You have stage four cancer, meaning meaning because it might not happen. We would yeah. put ourselves on the line. Yeah, I think you have to. I think it's somewhere in between, because I think that, you know, I think God wants good things for us. But simply because we believe in God does not mean everything's going to go right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, look at Jesus. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. Jesus really was well. crucified. Uh, you know, my gosh, you know, all the, the saints who suffered and people who are holy who suffer and. That doesn't mean they're doing something. I mean, as you know, you've studied this more than I have. It doesn't mean they're doing something wrong. Yeah, that's that's part of life. But I do think you're right. There is there is that call for a trust, but there's also a call for that's that's where the acceptance comes in. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and that's this is what Jesus is inviting us to. I don't like that. Mm, I know it's. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't. I don't like where this is going. But the point is that in the, the key is the relationship with God. What enables Jesus to do that is that he has this deep relationship with God. And that's what enables us to, to face these crises. Mm. And if people feel kind of weirded out by the word relationship with God, like, mm -hmm. what do you say to them? I think the key is, Kate, you start to ask them or invite them to talk about places where they feel that they've encountered God. And almost everyone has that. You know, some moment in their life or moments usually, right, where, you know, they're at the birth of a child or some moment in nature or something in a, in a church or hearing a hymn or there's usually something that people can point to, usually many things. And then you say, then you say to them, well, do you think that that was God? And they usually say, yes, I, I believe that I believe. And then you say, it sounds like God was reaching out to you. Yes, that's true. Well, then it sounds like God wants a relationship <laughs> with you. And then they say, yeah. OK, I get it, because usually it, they think it's some weird weird thing, but it's basically noticing where God is active in your life, where God is communicating with you. So it's, it's just usually getting them to kind of see that it's already happening. It's already happening. They just yeah. need to be invited to see it, encouraged to see it. It's a nice message. You're like, too bad. It's already there. <laughs> Absolutely. It's very uncomfortable for some people, but for other people, you know, if you get them talking one-on-one -on -one, they're and I think it's, it's a service too. It's, it's, it's a ministry to, and this is the ministry of spiritual direction to allow people to see where God is already present. But that's a yeah. great thing to be able to do for someone. Then their eyes are kind of opened and it's like, wow, that's, that's, I didn't realize I wasn't recognizing that. Yeah. Yeah. They get a different plot line. Mm -hmm. That's nice. 
we have this um we have this lovely little community here at the Everything Happens Project that really carries a lot. There's a lot of nurses and doctors and healthcare workers and caregivers and people who are really um, losing things that are dear to them, a marriage, a child, their health, mm. like the loss of, um, as one of our guests put it, like the loss of an imagined future. Mm. How might you tell them to pray or even to start approaching prayer if they're if they're really in the midst of of maybe one of the hardest seasons of their lives a simple thing would be they're christian imagining jesus sitting across from them or sitting next to them or walking with them and just talk to them mm-hmm. you know kind of pour your heart out because i think for people who are in pain that's one of the most important things to be honest and not to edit yourself right and yeah. then be attentive again i talk about this in the book too what comes up in prayer, emotions, desires, insights, memories, feelings, words and phrases, images, be attentive to what comes up. And for a person going through a tough time, that can be really helpful. The other thing very briefly is called the examination of conscience, which is a review of the day that you do at the end of the day. And one of the pieces of it is gratitude. Mm. And for people that are going through tough times, that's very helpful because we tend to focus only on the difficulties. And this is not to say you, you, you deny them or you ignore them, but to see that they are side by side with the good stuff. Yeah, that did help me. Not as uh, mm-hmm. you know that I am a an aggressive non bright sider, <laughs> but uh, I I put a a big whiteboard over my fireplace and I just put down all the tiny little things like mm-hmm. um, people who came to visit, uh, food that mm-hmm. was dropped off, the warmth of people's hands, like just all the mm-hmm. little tiny things that felt like little breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. that I could follow to feeling loved. And-, and and they were, and you were. You were loved and you are loved. And it is one way that God has of reaching out to you. Yeah. 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 No, and that's, and I think, you know, it's funny when people hear this, they might think, oh, it's just like a, it's just like you're papering over your difficulties or your cancer diagnosis or your treatment. No, no. I mean, it, it's side by side. The, yeah. the pain is still there, but as well as the other stuff, I think the difficulty is that when we're in these moments and it's natural, it's human, we, we, we don't focus at all on the, on the, the blessings. Yeah. Speaking of using profanity during prayer, I was talking to my <laughs> spiritual director and I said, I was so angry at God last night. I thought I said, how about some bleeping help? And my director said, that's a good prayer because it's honest. And I said, wow. Okay. And he said, but this, I, I thought this was so helpful. He said, but are you being totally honest with God? And I mm. said, what do you mean? I, I, I was you know, just spouting off at God and telling God how angry I was. And of course I was being honest. And he said, well, okay, that's one part of your life. Are you sharing with God the other part of your, the other parts of your life? Mm. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, if you're going to present your life to God can you present it in its totality, not just the stuff you're annoyed by. Mm-hmm. If that's the only focus of your prayer, then in a sense, it's actually not being honest with God. So, so, so what you're saying, the breadcrumbs and the stuff on your whiteboard that if you were to ignore that and to say, oh, God, my life is only about this, you're kind of being, in a sense, you're only showing God a part of the picture. Yeah. So, so that was really helpful for me, you know, to be honest, but also in, in the totality of your life. I'm just thinking of, I mean, the moments when I'm in the greatest pain or sadness or despair, um, I mean, part of why I stop noticing is just because every detail is too awful, right? Like you, you get this, like your, your brain's on a loop frequently if it's in crisis and it tries to shut down. Sometimes you shut down your own body because, you know, you don't want that information from your body or 
you tried talking to people and that relationship was painful or this mm-hmm. person sucked, et cetera. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. <clears throat> I mean, moments that were really just like carried me through the worst was when I could somehow open myself back up to noticing the kinds of things you're mm. describing. Like, um, like one of my best friends during that first year of cancer ended up being my nurse, Meg, who just because I was able, you know, we're, I'm sitting there for hours and hours and hours and she happens to look like a tiny elfin princess. Then suddenly my life isn't just cancer. It's like, oh, my gosh, what is going on with Meg? <laughs> like, and and that's and, and I guess the thing is, that's just as real as the cancer was. Mm-hmm. I mean, Meg was just as real as the cancer was. And to see those things side by side and it doesn't make things go away, but to not notice her, you know, in a sense is, is to not notice reality. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are, there are forces that pull us away from God and forces that pull us towards God. And I think the forces that pull us towards God are those forces that really give us hope. This is, this is Jesuit spirituality. You know, the voice of God is the voice of hope and uplift and encouragement and the voice of no, the one, the voice of the one that pulls us away from God is the voice of despair and hopelessness, mm. right? And then despair and hopelessness make us ignore the stuff that's good. Life is, it's difficult, right? But if it's only about the complaining and only focus on the negative, it's kind of, it's kind of false. And which could include, it's never going to get better. Nobody mm-hmm. cares about you. You're alone in your problem. Yeah, it will. Ne- nothing can ever change. It's funny, the the distinction I'm trying to make when you're saying this is between the modern therapeutic culture's obsession with mindset and the the distinction you're making here with prayer as a kind of like widened bandwidth for allowing the truth of a situation to pour in. Because one version of it is like, I think the modern therapeutic version is like, well, you just have to control your thoughts and you control it in a certain way. And prayer is just another way that you can channel it in a certain direction. And I know that's not what you're saying, but I know that's what a lot of people imagine as prayer. Mindset in the sense of, you mean, keep a positive attitude or your mindset in the sense of kind of cognitive behavior therapy where you feel what you tell yourself? Is that the idea? I guess a bit of both. Yeah. I I would imagine that a lot of people, I mean, right, like since the late 19th century, Mm -hmm. American culture has been obsessed with the ideas that are are the the idea that our thoughts determine us and that that the major war of being human is in directing the work of your mind. Yeah, no, that's and I'm I'm a fan of cognitive behavior therapy, which attacks sort of irrational thinking and thinking that's wrong. So, you know, for example, but I think prayer actually fits into that. Because cognitive behavior therapy and uh, mindfulness is, is a look at reality, right? So in other words, so to say, things can never change, okay? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Things will never get better. Okay, first of all, that's irrational, yeah. right? And things can change, or I'm the only one that this happens to, or I'm always getting sick. Or, so, so to challenge these things, I think, is actually helpful and healthy. But part of prayer is inviting you into that space, which enables you to do that. Because if you're, if you're being totally honest with God, and if you're looking at things that you're grateful for, you will realize that you are not the worst off person in the world or in the universe, because you do see that whiteboard, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, look, from a religious point of view, um, the, and we're talking during Holy Week, so it's a very good thing to talk about. The disciples on Good Friday and Holy Saturday were locked behind closed doors, which is such a great image. They, because 
they're terrified. And, you know, they had a reason to be terrified. Their leader was just crucified and the Romans were probably looking for them too, or so they feared. Mm -hmm. But they thought nothing can come from this. Nothing good. Everything is over. Nothing will get better. Nothing can change. And that's not the message of Easter. The message of Easter is nothing is impossible with God. Mm. I like that so much. I like how it doesn't deny the awful reality, but still asks us to maybe like put a little asterisk beside it that 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 maybe something beautiful can still happen because God is involved. really hard to pray about my stuff uh, I think maybe also just because I'm a human bulldozer I find it very hard to pause but lately I find it very easy to just love um blessing people like mm. like how can I infuse this person with the sense that God is with them in their work in uh their breakup with their partner in their inbox in their having to postpone a funeral is 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 praying for people like that? Is it like blessing them? It's attention. It's not only asking God to help them, but it's allowing God to ask you to help them, right? So yeah. if you keep praying for someone who's lonely, 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 and you never call them or text them, then yeah. <laughs> if you're praying about a friend who's lonely and you feel sad, yeah, you say, or oh, where's that coming from? Was that not God's sadness for that person? And can you see that as an invitation? Or if you, if you, if you're in your praying and you have a desire to help them. I wish I could, but where's that desire coming from? That desire is coming from God. So this is what I mean by listening to God, listening for God, listening yeah. to those emotions, insights, memories, feelings, desires, words, and phrases, images that come up and taking it seriously that this is, this may be God communicating with you. Cause again, how else would God, you know, affect God's desires in the world for that person other than working through you? Hmm. Lightning bolts maybe, or sudden acts of no fine i hear you i'll do it <laughs> it's the difference between again with the relationship model let's say you and i um our best friends continue your best friends of yeah, course obviously. and um someone says okay who's your best friend kate okay mm -hmm. well do you uh, what do you do with her oh i see her at parties and we're, we're we, we work in the same place and i see her all the time well do you ever spend any one-on-one -on -one time with her no why not <laughs> well because you know i see her all the time we're at work you know we work together nine to five yeah. Um, you know, I see her at parties, you know, we live in the house <laughs> together, whatever, but do you ever spend any, do you ever sit down and say, okay, now we're going to have some undivided attention? No. Yeah. And that's what people do with God. And it's not, here's the point. It's not to say that, and I'm using the sort of the, the crowd time and the, the daily time as sort of our regular lives when, you know, you, the sun beats down on you or you notice something that it's not to say that God is not active in those other times and you're walking around life. But it mm -hmm. is to say that if you want to deepen your relationship with God, you do need that intentional time. You just yeah. do the same way I would need it with you. Yeah. Which we will obviously, once we're done recording, set aside a lot of intentional. Best friends forever. Time. Right. <laughs> I'll, make our, <laughs> I'll make our bracelets. Father, this was a complete joy. I am so glad that two best friends finally got to meet. Two BFFs. That's right. <laughs> BFFs. I can't even say it. Uh, listen, it's been great to be great to be on the show and um yeah hope we can do it again honesty trust acceptance 
Sometimes I just don't know how to get there, but I can see it. The desire to see the world as it is, to believe somehow that I'm not alone there, and to accept that most of what happens in my life is not under my control, regardless of how entirely benevolently I would run the universe if asked. So if you, like me, don't always know how to move through this strange season when there is hope for someday, but someday is not now, here's a blessing for when you might not know how to pray or want to. Blessed are you in this terrible, wonderful now, fumbling around for the right words. You need so much, and it seems impossible to say it all. Blessed are you for whom prayer feels hopeless, disappointing, futile. Blessed are you in your radical honesty, in the ways you speak of your grief, the long sleepless nights in an empty bed, of the physical pain you feel, the joints that don't work like they used to, your brain fog or chronic migraines, who speak of your loneliness, the empty home or nest or womb. Blessed are you who have the audacity to ask for the miracles you need, the healing or a new friend or a redeemed family. Blessed are you as you learn to trust. Trust a God who hears, who listens, who hasn't left your side, who prays on your behalf, interpreting those deep groans you can't quite put into syllables or sounds. Blessed are you as you settle into acceptance. And blessed are we who live here in the someday, but not now. I know that not everyone who listens to this is religious, and I have to say how grateful I am that you stick with me and that we can have this mighty little community of compassion. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review, I'd love to hear more about why you listen and what topics or guests you'd like to hear from. You are a gift, and I don't take you for granted. Thank you, always. Today's episode was made possible by our partners, Lily Endowment, the Duke Endowment, and Duke Divinity School, who support our Faith in Media project. We are so grateful for their generosity and investment in what we do. And of course, my team, Jessica Ritchie, our executive producer, Harriet Putman, our associate producer, Keith Weston, our sound designer, and the rest of the Everything Happens crew who make this project so much fun. Dan Wells, AJ Walton, Mary Jo Clancy, JJ Dickinson, Lana Stewart, Kelly Dunlap, Aaron Lane, Jeb and Sammy, thank you. This is Everything Happens with me, Kate Bowler. <laughs>